The Lord, my soul waits, and in His word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen for the morning, more than watchmen for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with Him is plentiful redemption, and He will redeem Israel from all His iniquities. Luke chapter 1. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before the Lord, walking blamelessly in all the um, commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. And Zechariah was ministering in the temple, and in verse 11 said, There appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayers has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. And he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And Elizabeth did get pregnant, and she said, How kind the Lord is, she exclaimed. She has, he has taken away my disgrace of having no children. In the sixth month of her pregnancy, that is, the angel Gabriel was sent by God, from God, to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favorite one. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled with the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. And Mary went to visit her relative Elizabeth, and 43 says, Elizabeth said, And why is this where the sound of your greeting came to my ears? The baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Oh, dear Lord, we thank you that you are good, that you are with us. We thank you, Lord, that our hope is in you as Emmanuel, God with us. We thank you, Lord, for the blessed uh, just expectation and beauty we see in these passages, Lord. Lord, help us to also um, be able to walk in that kind of expectation as we, as we anticipate your coming and celebrate your coming this Christmas. We thank you, God. In your son's name we pray. Amen. 
So as we begin, I just want to take a little poll, and I think I know the answer to this question, but uh, maybe I'll be surprised. How many of us in this room, and you can signify by just raising a hand high enough so I can see it, how many of you really appreciate and enjoy waiting? Waiting for the subway, waiting for, um, oh, I got one. Um, <laughs> not going to say who it was. Waiting for the subway, waiting for uh, in traffic, waiting rooms, lines, waiting to get uh, stuff for uh, Christmas, um, waiting in those terrible lines at Macy's if you have kids to see Santa, all those things. Nobody, nobody. Okay, that was one I knew, just wanted to try to engage you in that a little bit, but uh, it's true that we see that nobody in this room and nobody in this city and world really loves waiting. Waiting is terrible, we hate waiting. Waiting is kind of this desert, this frustrating place between where we are and where we want to go. And none of us want to be there. You know, I think all of us want to get out of that place. We want to get to somewhere else. We want to get to the the destination that we're supposed to go. So we don't like being there. We don't sit there. We don't, uh, we want to kind of get out of there as fast as we can. And I think one of the reasons why is that waiting is an inconvenience, just a huge inconvenience. I mean, I think we're, in our culture today, we are just so kind of uh, used to wanting and expecting things to be done like quickly. You know, if, we, if our phone takes five more seconds than usual to boot up, we're frustrated. You know, if, if our coffee takes five more minutes than usual to come, we're frustrated. If our fast food is not fast food, but kind of medium food or cold food, we get frustrated, probably justifiably. You know, even if we're shopping online and the websites are going a little slow, we get frustrated. We expect things to be fast, and when they're not, it's inconvenient to us. But I think there's also another reason why waiting is a frustrating thing. And it doesn't have to do with all those other things, but it has to do with fear. People who are afraid and anxious hate waiting. And I think probably you can empathize with that statement. Because if you've ever been anxious... Just think about that for a second. The last time you were anxious or afraid about something, could be that you're right now anxious and afraid of something, but the last time you're anxious, afraid, just think about, was it easy to just go, I'm just gonna wait, I'm gonna wait it out, I'm just gonna sit here, not do anything, just gonna chill. No, it's impossible to do those things. When we're anxious and afraid, we just wanna get out of it somehow. We wanna get some relief. We want to fix it somehow. If we can't get relief or fix it, we want to kind of distract ourselves. We want to dull the pain in some way. And if all those things don't work out, so if we can't flee from the pain or the anxiety or fear, we often turn to fighting. I don't know if you've ever felt this way, but like when people are anxious around you, they're not often the nicest people to hang out with. They're not very pleasant. <laughs> Because their focus is on their fear and anxiety and they can't get out of it. So they fidget. So they, they obsess on the thing they're afraid about. They can't sleep. They're worried constantly. And that describes me as well at times. I know it describes you as well at times. It's just what happens when fear and anxiety kind of takes over. Charles Spurgeon uh, describes it this way. He says, our anxiety does not empty tomorrow of its sorrows but only empties today of its strengths. So Spurgeon is basically saying that tomorrow, worries not do anything to change tomorrow. 
What you're worried, just by worrying and being anxious, it's not going to change the outcome of whatever it is, but it's going to change your ability to live today. It's going to change the way you respond to those problems, the way you respond to others, the way you respond to God, the way you respond in your own spirit as well. And that's one of the reasons I think we just hate waiting so much, because waiting kind of reminds us that we can't control these things, that we can't fix these things on our own, or they're not going to be fixed on our schedule. So when you look to the scriptures, though, we see this different kind of attitude towards waiting. Waiting is not useless in the scriptures. Waiting is not even frustrating in the scriptures. Well, it is at times. But waiting has a different purpose in the scriptures. You know, if you look at our, our, our Christmas story, in the first pages of the New Testament, what are all the main characters in that story doing? Waiting. Every single character. We see Zechariah. He's a priest. He is someone who is of the tribe of priests that takes care of the worship of the Lord in the temple. He is waiting. He's waiting for the fulfillment of God's promises for a Messiah. Every day, living in Rome, seeing the Romans just treat the Israelites terribly, oppressing them, longing, crying out for a Messiah. We see Elizabeth and Mary, as we talked about last week as well, also longing and expecting and hoping for a Savior to come. Her, them, along with generations, have waited for a Savior, but not seen one. So, but they still waited and waited. And Elizabeth, we also see, waited for a child. And even if we expand the story, we see that everybody's waiting in this first uh, part of the, the gospel. Joseph was waiting. Angels were waiting as they celebrated. Uh, shepherds were waiting. Wise men were waiting. Everybody there was waiting in this expectation for the promise to be fulfilled in this child, Jesus Christ. And here we see really what, at the most basic terms, is how we are challenged and called to live our life with Christ. Simon Vail, who's a um, Jewish writer, wrote it this way. He said, waiting and expectation is the foundation of the spiritual life. Not a foundation, the foundation. So the thing that we hate... The thing that we are frustrated by, the thing that we think is useless, waiting, is actually, in the Christian life, the foundation of our life with God. It is the way, in the most basic way, that we live with God. We see this in Psalm 130 that we just read. The first part of Psalm 130, the psalmist is crying out. He says, deep cries out to deep, calling out for, for forgiveness and help. But then he says, I will wait upon the Lord, and in his word I will hope. He didn't know what the expectation would be. He was still living between what he wanted and the destination. But in that middle space, he was hoping for God. And the way he was hoping is by waiting. By waiting in expectation for God. You know, I think in many of our Christian lives, and I know this is true of myself as well, for some reason, we get in our minds somehow... And I don't know if we're taught this, because I don't think I was really, and nobody ever told me this, but it's just something I got. Maybe it was just in our culture or something, that the way we live out our faith is to do more. That if you want to be a good Christian, you should do more. You should worship more. 
You should uh, go to church more. You should be involved in Bible studies more. You should read the Bible more. You should um, pray more. You should do all these things more, serve more, love more. And all those things are not bad things, and they're actually commanded things in the Scriptures. But if that is the only foundation of your life in Christ, you're going to hit a wall. I don't know, some of you in this room have already hit that wall. You've been following Christ for a while, and all those things that you used to do that were meaningful and that were full of hope and insight and helped you and and made you closer to God and faith, you just hit this wall. And suddenly, they're not as you know, meaningful and insightful. They're still important, they're still needful, but they don't have that same sense of refreshing you and filling you like they used to. And that's because in all of our faith, at some time in our life, we're gonna hit this wall. You're, oh, I'm really dry. We call it a plateau sometimes. Oh, I've just kind of reached this plateau. But it's this wall. It's like we're not going anywhere. And it's at those times where we're, we're actually beckoned by God to deeper faith. And a deeper faith involves waiting. It involves that space between where we are and where we want to be. That middle space is actually useful space for God. That is where God meets us. That is where God guides us. That is where God helps us and teaches us to grow in perseverance and resilience and strength in the midst of a faith that sometimes is open-ended. We can't see the end. We can't see where God is leading us or what God is doing. But we still, with Mary and Zechariah and Elizabeth, cry out, praise be to God. It is learning to wait that gives us that faith that it goes deeper. And so that's something that we see pretty consistently throughout the scriptures that God is calling us to. Not just to do more, doing is good, doing is necessary, but we learn in the scriptures that God did not create us only to do. Like we talked about last week, God didn't create just us to use us to do his will. God created us so that we would grow in his likeness, that we would grow as his children. So the journey of faith is not just doing more, it's growing in character. It's growing in trust. And we learn those things from waiting in the Lord. That is how we learn those deeper disciplines of the Christian life. So today we're going to learn a little bit more about what waiting means. Because when I say waiting in the Lord, you might go, well, I don't know what that means. What is, what is that about? We're going to learn about what waiting in the scripture, what expectant waiting really means. What is it really about? And we're going to learn about how we can, as we go through this Advent season and all year round, practice these waiting disciplines so that we don't miss the manger and we appreciate what God is doing in our midst, doing in this church, doing in our lives, even in the midst of fear, even in the midst of darkness, even in the midst of an uncertain future. So we learn, firstly, that the discipline of waiting is not a passive thing. That's, I think, the first thing we see in our scriptures, that waiting is not passive. I think for most of us, when we think about waiting, waiting is this very passive action. It is this hopeless state that is beyond our ability to change. Just think about the last time you waited. It could have been this morning, waiting for the subway, and again, in Queens, you know, the, the lines are all messed up again. You know, the F and the M and, the, and the, they're going all over the place. You know, the E is going somewhere it shouldn't. And we're waiting. And it's just this hopeless state of like, I can't control this. It's just frustrating. 
And I think we see waiting like that. Traffic jam, can't do anything about it. You know, long line, can't do anything about it. Congestion, can't do anything about it. So it's just this passive kind of uh, frustrating reality. That's why when you tell somebody, hey, just wait, people don't usually respond to that. You know, last time I was told that, oh, just five minutes, five minutes. It's like, no, I don't want to wait five minutes. I want it now. Come on, people, get your act together. But this is the idea of waiting expectantly in the Bible, is it's not passive. It's actually quite active. And we see this in the psalm today. The psalmist says, I will wait upon the Lord, and in his word I hope. And he says, goes on saying, my soul waits for the Lord more than the watchmen for the morning, more than the watchmen for the morning. Now, we don't have watchmen on our buildings, or maybe most of us don't. But the watchmen was this very essential part of ancient life. If you lived in a, a city with a wall, the watchmen were, were essential. If you didn't have watchmen that were really watching, then an enemy would come and take over your city and you wouldn't even know. So when the psalmist is saying more than the watchman for the morning, he's talking about a watchman looking out from the city walls at night. And this watchman is alert, looking for enemies that would creep up in the night and try to take over their city. So the idea of waiting doesn't have to do just with a passive kind of acceptance of things that are terrible. Waiting has to do with active, attentive, vigilance. It has to do with actively seeking the presence of God. It is actively being alert to what God is doing in us and where God is going in the world. I think often in our minds, we are drawn to the future, right? Okay, what's going to happen? What do I got to do? Where do I got to go? What's going to happen in this relationship? If they do this, will I do this? And then they'll do this, and then I do this, and then they do this, and I do this. We're often drawn to the future. Or we can be drawn to the past. Oh, this happened. This was terrible. Oh, this just shows I'm terrible. Oh, I wish this didn't happen. Why does my life have to be like that? Often we're drawn to the future or the past, But in waiting, we learn that God is drawing us to the present. God is drawing us simply to be present in the moment and to be present about what God is doing in the moment. And we see this in our story from Elizabeth and Zechariah and Mary, that they were very present in the moment. You know, we see that both Mary and Zechariah are given this this amazing message from, from God. You know, they are, they are told that, that amazing things were going to happen to them. Zechariah, an old man, is going to have a kid with his wife Elizabeth. Mary, a virgin teenager, is going to have a child that's going to be the king of the world, the everlasting king. And we see that both of them were present to receive it. But, you know, in this story, I think we learn more from Zechariah than Mary, honestly. When I always read the story, I always kind of connect with Zechariah more than Mary, just because Zechariah didn't get it. If you notice in this passage, when uh, Zechariah is given the same kind of introduction that Mary is, Zechariah is said, don't be afraid, God's doing amazing things, it's all awesome. Mary, in response to that, says, I'm your servant, I'm going. 
wherever you will, I'm doing it. But Zechariah, it says in our passage, was afraid. And he responded with this. He said, how shall I know this? For I'm an old man and my wife is advanced in years. So in the passage, we see that really what Zechariah is doing, he's doubting. He's afraid. He doesn't know what God's doing and he's not quite ready to accept that God is doing these amazing things in his life. And we see in the passage that actually the angel responds by silencing him. Just like shuts his mouth so he can't speak for nine months. And in those nine months, we see that Zechariah probably thought a lot about what the angel said. And by the end of that nine months, we see that when he is able to speak again, he rejoices in what God is doing. And I think we're a lot like Zechariah. You know, in the midst of our lives, it doesn't always make sense that God is real. You know, when I'm having an argument with my son or in our family, at that moment, I'm not going, God's real, God's working, everything's good. No, if anything, I'm feeling the opposite. You have struggles at school and work, struggles in your family and relationships. In those moments, it does not feel that God is present in the here and now, in the moment. And so we can begin to doubt that and just go, no, God, I want to believe. Every week I go to church and remember that God's here, but it doesn't seem like God is really here. We can be a lot like Zechariah. But the blessing of it is that Zechariah got it. As he went through fear, he went through this, this doubt of not fully believing that God was here and God was working. Eventually, he learned it. And I think that's our journey as well. When we're in the midst of all the situations we go through, experiencing anxiety and fear, frustration, struggles, all the daily life kind of issues we go through, and all the internal things we go through, depression, sadness, um, self-esteem issues, struggles and doubts, our challenge is just to work it out with God. We see that Zechariah in the end, he made it, he understood what God was doing. And that's our challenge as well, is just on the day-to-day basis, just to to seek God as we can. Something happens that's frustrating or a struggle, just to come back to God and go, God, where are you? Where's your plan? How can I know you? How can I love you? There's just three questions I encourage you to ask, kind of especially in the midst of those struggles when there's darkness, when there's frustration, when there's, uh, when you just don't see God working. Just to ask, where is God right now? Where is God, just where is God right now? And then where is God leading me? And lastly, what is God's larger intention and will for this situation in the world? Now you might say, well, I don't know where God is right now. I don't know where God's leading me in the midst of this. I don't know what God's larger plan is. But you do know. You do know, I promise you. You do know. All you have to do is look in the Bible. All you have to do is read the scriptures and you will know. Where is God? With you. God is Emmanuel, God with us. He is with you in the midst of that situation, in the midst of your darkest night, with you intimately. Where is God leading you? God is leading you to know him more, to love him more. So God is always going to be teaching you in the midst of struggles and trials. So every single time that you are having a conflict with somebody, you can know God is teaching you through it. God is working because that's what the Holy Spirit does. We just have to allow him to do it. Acknowledge he's doing it. 
What is God's larger intention? God is bringing the renewal of all things. So in every conflict and struggle, we see what God is doing. God wants to create reconciliation. God wants to bring forgiveness. God wants to bring grace. So it changes the perspective on all those things. And the more that you learn how to do that, and the more you work on that, the more that you uh, take that time to allow God to be present in the moment, to see what God is doing, it'll change your perspective. Henry Nouwen wrote it this way. He said, We can only wait if what we are waiting for has already begun, like a seed that has started to grow. So that's the only way we can wait, is knowing something is happening already. We cannot wait faithfully for God if we feel like God's not doing anything. We can't wait faithfully for God if we're like, God, God's not powerful. Things are impossible for God. But we can wait for God if we know God is doing something in me. He's working in my life. He is leading me in a good purpose. And God is leading you in a good purpose. God is leading people in the world to a good purpose. The world is full of God, not God is absent in the world. The narrative of the world around us is there is no promise in the world around us. The promise is in ourself. But we have this greater promise. The promise is in God. We see Mary and Zechariah and Elizabeth. They held on to a promise. We see that God gives them the message, both of them. Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for my, your prayer has been heard. Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. They have this promise that God was with them, that God was working. They, as part of Israel, have this hope that God was not going to leave them alone. And we have that hope as well. Even if we don't really believe it, we have this hope that God is with us. So no situation that you go through is devoid of God. Just think about that for a second. Think about your week. Think about those instances that seem devoid of God. It could have been just a stressful test that just you know you didn't do well on. <laughs> could have been a struggle or conflict in your home. Could have been something at work. Could have been some, you know, something in the neighborhood. There is no instance devoid of God. And we know God is Jesus Christ who came as a baby, who lived among us, who died for us, who is resurrected in power and who ascended to heaven. So we always have promise. We always have hope, even in the darkest time. And we need to remember that. That's part of what waiting is, is just remembering the promise. This last week, uh, some of you might have tried to get a hold of me and I was not here. I was actually upstate and taking my yearly uh, prayer retreat that I take every year. I take a time, just usually three or four days, just to be quiet. I go to a monastery. They don't talk. You know, I've said this before. Like, they at meals, we don't talk. Everyone's quiet. Just very silent, which I love. Um, and we just, and everybody just does their own thing and praying and the monks are doing their own thing. And it's just a place for you to be with God. And so in those times, usually what happens is God reminds me of promises, God reminds me of his presence. And usually what I've been doing the last few years is I've been making these kind of little, you know, piles of rocks because we're on the Hudson River, so I, I get these rocks in the, the riverbanks. And I write promises on them. The promises God has been reminding me of on that, that uh, trip. And it's the third year I've been doing that, so I have these little piles of rocks like in our house and in my office. And I think if I do this for many more years, I'm gonna have like piles of rocks all over the place. But what they do for me 
is they remind me of the promise. Every time I see them, I'm reminded that God does not slumber, nor does he sleep. That God is with me in the midst of my situation. That my challenge is to let the seed grow. God has planted the seed of his presence, his salvation in me. And God is watering it by the Holy Spirit. My, my, my job is just to, to listen for God, to wait for him, to hope in him, to remember him. And then lastly, as we, we do, do that, as we rem- uh, engage in his presence and engage in his promise, the scripture reminds us to do something else with waiting that I don't think we often think about. We see that in the scriptures, we're called to wait together. That waiting for the Lord is not a solitary uh, kind of exercise. It's something that's meant to be done in community. And we see this with Mary and Elizabeth together. Right after Mary's given this huge, amazing promise from God, God says, your son's gonna be the king of the world. He's gonna be the everlasting king. Mary goes to Elizabeth right away. And they have this amazing, beautiful meeting, one of the most beautiful meetings in all of Scripture. When um, Elizabeth sees Mary, her child jumps with joy in her womb, John the Baptist in her womb. And Mary says, Blessed is she who believed in the promise made her by the Lord would be fulfilled. And Mary responds, My soul proclaims the goodness of the Lord. Do you see what's happening there? Do you see what's happening in that interaction? As soon as Elizabeth sees Mary, she goes, you have kept your promises. You are living in the promise. You have engaged in the promise. And Mary responds by going, oh, thank you, God. The goodness of God. Elizabeth was an encouragement to Mary. Elizabeth saw what God was doing and affirmed it in her life. And Mary responded with praise. It it, it built her up. It encouraged her. It gave her strength to go on. And that's really, we see through this, what the challenge and the joy of Christian community is like. We are like Mary and Elizabeth, who stand before the throne of our God, who stand before the wonder of the story, that God has come, that the promises have been fulfilled, that the salvation we've been longing for is here, that God is with us. And we're called just to say, did you see it? We're called just to encourage each other, God bless you for trying to to live it out. We're just called to look at each other and say, grace be upon you. God loves you. God is with you. We're just called to encourage each other in the faith. That's what we are called to do. We are called to to be Mary and Elizabeth to each other in this place. You know, so often for some reason, it is hard to encourage people, right? It is just hard. I I think I've spoken about this with, with many of you, actually, about heart, even though you feel something, you know, kind towards someone else, we just don't say it. We, we, for some reason, just can't say it. It feels awkward if we say it. We're like, oh, well, maybe I'll give them a big head, you know, if they, if I encourage them too much. Um, you know, we kind of have all these excuses that we don't say the thing that we feel. But we see with Mary and Elizabeth, they didn't have those inhibitions or they didn't allow those inhibitions to stop them. They just said it. Elizabeth just said it. She was so overjoyed she couldn't help but say it. That Mary, you have been blessed. Mary, you are awesome. 
Mary, you have been faithful. Praise be to God. And that's how we live in community. Henry Nouwen writes it this way. He says, waiting together, nurturing what has already begun, expecting its fulfillment, that is the meaning of marriage, friendship, community, and the Christian life. So our task of waiting is not to be done alone. We're called to do it together. And and the way we wait together is just by nurturing what has already begun, by reminding each other, you are children of God. I am a child of God. Reminding each other, Christ has saved us and set us free and given us new life in him. Encouraging us when we see any shard of faithfulness, any little bit of faithfulness, just to say, well done, good and faithful servant. Awesome. You know, yesterday we were at this um, birthday party with Evan, and they were at like this bowling birthday party, you know, <laughs> which Evan, you know, does not know how to bowl. Like every time I'm just waiting for like the, the floor just to break open, like, you know, for that ball just to like smash the floor, because he just like throws it like, you know, just like hoping it'll land somewhere near the, the lane. And, and Evan, for some reason, won the game. You know, he, he won the game. He was like, and he was so happy, you know, he was like, oh, I'm so happy. And this one little boy, Geronimo, comes up to me and says, Eben, I'm so proud of you. <laughs> so awesome. I was like, what, what are you, so awesome. You got a six-year-old, you know, telling me, Eben, I just, that's, that was great. He was like, just like his cheering section, you know, from the, from the side. And I just thought, what an example of the Christian life, right? In community. When we see just one little good thing in each other, just to go, awesome, I'm proud of you. Praise be to God for you. And that's how we live, is living in the, in the, the experiencing the fulfillment, the waiting for the fulfillment and waiting together in what has already begun because we know God is in this place, God is here. So I encourage you, this Advent, throughout this season, to live in expectation in the moment. To know whatever you're going through in your jobs, in your workplaces, among your friends, that God is with you in the moment. And in that moment, live in the promise. And then do it together. Encourage each other. Live in the expectancy together that God is with us and wait for the fulfillment as we serve him and we seek him and we love others and we seek his word and we pray that God is working and will finish his work. Praise be to God. Let's pray. Dear Lord God, we thank you that you are moving. We thank you, Lord, that we are not alone. Lord, thank you that we, as we wait, our waiting is not fruitless and it is not um, devoid of meaning. But in, the, in between that desert, between uh, where we are and where we want to be, that's where you are. And in that desert, you are leading us to the presence, to your presence in the present. You're leading us to your promise and you're leading us to each other to wait together. We thank you, God. In your son's name we pray, amen. Mm-hmm.